Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. It is that time of the week, the best Tuesday you've had all week, and you are ready for the True Wealth Radio Show. At least I hope you are, because Matt, I'm ready. Okay. I to, love that energy. He's like, let's bring it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because we talked about, you know, what are we going to talk about today? And I got to, so you, you come in strong and fast, and you know what? That is kind of the theme right now strong and mm-hmm. fast and what does that mean today i want to talk about something that i think is on a lot of your minds and it is what the heck is going on in the markets and and we're we're gonna just really uh i'm probably gonna make some people mad today that's right? what i'm looking for uh, I'm, I'm ready i'm probably gonna make some people mad because we're not gonna pull a lot of punches we're gonna talk some about data some about uh, the the economic backdrop, some of the decisions that are being made, how things are being framed and so forth. But what we're going to start with, and the reason I came out fast is the theme of the day is speed. Okay, We're going to use the team speed and velocity. Okay? Mm, okay, Two things that are really, really important to the way we analyze things. Now, they're not the same thing, right? Speed and velocity are not really the same thing. But in the context of what we're talking about today, we're going to use them. Oftentimes, they, they may be a little interchangeable, but I want you to think about, one, how fast do things happen? Mm-hmm. And so that that's the speed thing. How quickly in terms of time can something occur? You know, is it a long duration or a short duration? You know, it's almost instantaneous versus it takes a while to figure it out. And then velocity is sort of like how aggressive is the move too so it's not just how fast but like how much at the same time Mm -hmm. so let's if if we've got that as the foundation i want to pose a theory to you guys because first let me give you a backdrop did anybody look at the markets today i feel like some of us like kind of put the blinders on and i mean just i don't want to look at it right I feel like that's some of us. Some of us are watching it with a very intent focus mm-hmm. and a close eye and saying, hey, what's going on here? I want to know every little move where our support levels and everything. And yeah, because today counts as a bad day. But there's some silver linings, maybe some green shoots. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not here to sugarcoat this or Pollyanna this thing, but we hit today the low watermark for the S&P 500 for the year. Mm-hmm. So it we is as low it. as it has been this year. In fact, it's lower than the previous, I think, June 16th was But did we finish at an all-time low? Yes. Okay. I believe we did. I, I think we're at 36.47.29. Okay. And in the last six months, I'm trying to figure out if we finished any lower on june 16th we got to 36.66 so we did so we We actually finished lower now interestingly enough our intraday range we got to a low today of 36.23.29 so 0.29 the previous low was 36.36.87 i believe Mm -hmm. because i might study this stuff and what is weird about today is that we finished lower than the all-time low and intraday we dropped lower but at the end of the day the market scraped its way back to finish down but not that much 
It started higher, faded, and then climbed up a little bit. It actually started positive for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it came out of the gate pretty strong, and then it faded and stabilized, and it climbed out a little bit. But it was really stable from about noon Pacific time on. Yeah. So the last half of the afternoon was sort of a wait and see. Now, Matt, mm-hmm. what's the elephant in the room? When we talk about the economy and everything else, what is the elephant in the room? I think inflation is on everyone's mind, right? That's yeah. one of the biggest driving features here. I think that's one and of them. I, I still think that's one that we're we're hiding the, from the real issue. We have a lot of rate hikes happening, yeah. so it's getting more and more expensive. Um, so we're we're worrying, hey, recession, the word is all over the news. Do we have a soft landing here? So that's a big question. Like, I mean, where do we fall? Do we overshoot this thing and just absolutely crush the economy? Do we kind of come in for a soft landing and navigate this with some grace? I think that's one of the big concerns. And then that all leads up to what is the lowest point, right? Like, where's the bottom of this thing? I think that's the looming question. Yeah. And... I guess I'll ask now. This is uh, just uh, we're predicting the future, which is impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Where do you think uh, the low is on this thing? You know, a lot of people I read, you know, thirty three hundred. That was kind of a round number that was thrown around. If if I just wanted to go out on a limb, I'd probably be a little bit higher than that. I'm thinking thirty four fifty. Okay. So yeah, I mean. I think we got 10% more. Yeah, 10% from here. So with 36, that'd be another 360 points drop. Yeah. So at 650, roughly, that, that that's actually about 3,300 or 3,290. Yeah. 10%. So you're saying so maybe like maybe eight, eight and a half? Yeah. So the, I think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate to say that to people. And here's the thing. If you look at the S&P 500 year-to-date, it's something like, what, down 24, 25% year-to-date. Right. And... If you go another, you know, eight percent, that's about a third more downside, right? right? So it's a third of the downside we've already had again, right? <laughs> uh, and that's nothing to scoff at. No, no, that's yeah. pain. That's oh yeah, pain. you know, you're talking about nearly forty percent decline in the, the the market over the course of the year. Let's say let's say we get to thirty three, thirty four percent, or thirty five. You just took a third of your money, and watched it on paper disappear, mm-hmm. right? You know, a third of your liquidation value is is gone. Uh, I think that there are some things that one in, that investors need to think about. Okay. First of all, are you an investor? Or are you a trader? Yeah. So I'm yeah. going to first ask, not an are you this or that, just are you an investor? This is a yes or no question. For me, yes. Okay. And the reason that's important is because it then challenges your time frame. Okay? Yeah. Because investors, when you think about long long term, I realize that this is one of these, it's, it sounds like a talking point, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a talking point. This is an emotionally grounding point. Think of this like an emotional lightning rod. Okay, You know why lightning rods are important? It's because they are grounded. So when the lightning strikes it, it bypasses the thing that could be damaged mm-hmm. and grounds that massive current. Right. And 
our emotions are the are like lightning, right? And if, mm-hmm. if we get hit by emotions, you can burn your house down by accident. If you are grounded, then it helps you to diffuse some of that emotional strike. I agree, and here's my grounding stance, right? So I look at this personally, and I say, I'm contributing to my retirement account right now. Every single month, I'm putting money in. And every month, I keep buying it cheaper. Yeah, you, you certainly want to buy it on sales and investor. Yeah. Now, a bunch of you out there listening and going, hey, Matt sounds like a whippersnapper, <laughs> right? And, you know, so Matt, you've got a 20 plus year time horizon. I do. That, that means that you arguably have at least, I mean, provided there's no like crazy accidents, you're right. Like, you're going to see probably at a minimum five more administrations. Yep. Right, like you think about, like in eight years, so like you're that's potentially a forty-plus year time horizon statistically for you, mm-hmm. and that's at least eight more presidents. It's a lot, right? So I mean, well, really, I could say it's at least—I'm uh, sorry, not eight more, at least five more presidents, but for sure four, even if uh, Biden were to get reelected. And I got to tell you, everybody, this is the part I'm just, I'm done flirting with this for a minute. Biden is the elephant in this room. In this community, there's a lot of discussion about this. I have been very careful about this because I don't want this to turn into a partisan hit job. Mm -hmm. That's not the point here. But But, we're just looking at policy at this point. Well, it's really dumb to pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some things here. And, and here's the key. Will you throw your fla- uh, the flag um, on your own team or somebody else's team? I think right? you just got to throw the flag when it's necessary. That's the point, right? If if we're really going to be referee on this one, which is my attempt here. And, and you know, in full disclosure, uh, I am a, a politically more conservative. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not going to party affiliate right now for a number of reasons. It's not the point. You know, if anything, I'm 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 relatively libertarian. Like I'm a fiscal conservative and socially, do what you're gonna do, just don't hurt other people, right? And don't mm-hmm. don't charge me money for it. Like, and I'll <laughs> kind of stay out of the way. But for the rest of it, it's like let's spend smart. And there's just no way around the fact that that we're not spending smart. We're not spending smart. No. Right? Like, and and I'm kind of tired of being gaslit. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't name a bill, the Inflation Protection Act. Spend more money. And tell me it's not inflationary. Right. And then try to rationalize it by saying, well, you know, it's long-term investment, so really it's going to pay off. I go, I don't care what the time horizon is. The long-term investment is how you amortize it, but you spend it right now. The thing that gets me is the naming of the bill and the fact that it's a complete lie. Right? That's like, the that's the That's what really irks me. Yeah. Don't tell me that it's an inflation protection act. Mm-hmm. No, you are creating more inflation. Try and argue around that. You can't. There's no angle that you can take. No, and and I'm I'm like I said, I'm really over the partisanship of trying to rationalize bad behavior. And it's hurting us all, right? Mm-hmm. Like, look at what this is doing. Just open your eyes and take a look around. The Fed is aggressively hiking rates. Right. It's and- making it more expensive for you to buy a house. It's making it more expensive for you to get a loan, right? Like, we're feeling it. And then when you go and you pass this act, it makes you're undermining what the Fed's doing. Literally, and that's the issue, right? Now, we can talk about the the Fed as a, 
you know, what does that mean or uh, whatever, but because they're, they're not supposed to be partisan. The Fed's supposed to be uh, more mm -hmm. neutral in this. I don't think any of us are truly neutral, but at least if you're willing to disclose, I mean, when you have a conflict of interest, disclose it. Then at least everybody knows your position on it, right? Mm -hmm. that, which is why I will tell you, hey, if I lean conservative, you need to know that. I'm throwing the flag on myself, right? But I want to talk a little bit more about speed and velocity and so forth. But I'm looking at the time here. We're running a little bit long on this first segment. So why don't we grab a break and then we'll come back on the flip side and we're going to explore more the how this impacts your and well how speed may solve your investor problem. Okay. But we got to take a break first. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. I don't. All right. Okay. Ask, what do you? What is the the question about? Sorry. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show. We're back. Yep. Dave Littlejohn with Matt Dixon. Okay. And you get caught up on the podcast later. That's at littlejohnfs.com. That's the usual pitch at this point. So let me, Matt. You're asking me this question right at the end of the break. I know. I, like I had to get the headphones fixed, and then you go something about rates yeah. and, and a flat space, oh, and I'm man. like, what? <laughs> Oh, I was just looking at the 30-year mortgage rates, right? And okay. they creeped up over 7%. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, if we're going to get a couple more rate hikes, we might get up to 8 maybe even 9%. And my question was, you know, it, we already have seen that lending is going down, right? Like, people aren't borrowing as much money. And yeah, you're not, so w let me just clarify to make sure we're speaking the same yeah, language. Yeah. Lending, you're not talking about... The fr well, some of it probably is the number of people taking loans out. There's right. fewer loans being made, that's, yeah, but that's there's also the loans that are being made are smaller because people can't, can't afford to loan as much money. Well, right. or they're the same loan, but more of it, it, it costs more. Mm -hmm. So as a result, you're borrowing they, they're less. borrowing less money yes. because right. there's higher interest rates. So more of it's going to interest than principal payments. Yep. So it's not, you basically just can't, if you think about the mortgage, industry, right? Mm -hmm. They have these ratios about they'll loan you only so much money compared to your income. Mm -hmm. And so if the when the rate's really low, you can buy more because the payment's really low. The right. payment goes up with a higher rate, but it doesn't change your income. So if the higher payment means you can borrow less within the ratio of mm -hmm. how much you can borrow compared to your total income amount. So you've got yeah. this you've got this compression where people can't access as much money. Why am I clarifying this? Back to the first segment. This is part of the concept of velocity mm. of money, right? Yes. The velocity is slowing because the cost is that, and this is slowing, not like how quick it happens, but velocity is weakening. Right. And right? so my question was really, do we see kind of a, a sidestep or a flat line in the velocity before we see it tail off? Because it's going to have to tail off at some point, right? Like, this isn't sustainable at the rate that we're traveling at. Which part? What do you mean by sustainable? I, these are, I, right. I'm just clarifying. Yeah, I want to I'm make sure saying, that our, our I, listeners understand what you're talking about. I'm, I'm thinking in my mind about the graph of where you look at the 30-year mortgage, right? Okay. And I'm looking at this graph, and I'm seeing this exponential growth. Okay, the, which, which you're right. That's yeah. not going to happen. Right. It'll stop. I'm saying, do you see it flattening out? Or do you see it getting to this apex and then it just breaks everything and it has to go lower? Will it sustain at like 8% and stay there for a year or two? 
Or do you think it's going to just break everything and then we taper off and we start to see rates go a lot lower, crawling back down six, five, four percent? Um, yes. Yes to which part? So Something. It, one of those things will happen. <laughs> here's the way. I, there, There is a point at which mortgage rates will peak. Mm-hmm. Okay. But keep in mind, what are the mortgages paying for? Right. If we boil this all down to the basics, ultimately supply and demand. Right. Mm-hmm. So if people can access less capital, we've reduced the supply of capital, which means less money chasing the same amount of goods should lead to deflationary pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. Opposite right. of more money, same amount of goods, inflation. Okay, less money, same amount. So you of goods, think we deflation. could step into a deflationary event? Absolutely. Okay. So, but but what does that mean? It means right. housing prices have to fall. Will fall, and we're seeing that now. Absolutely, and and this is a natural response to a rising cost of capital. That's a fancy way of saying mortgages are more expensive, right? Mm-hmm. I can't afford as big a mortgage, right? And so I can't buy as much house. And if we're all in that boat, then well, and not necessarily you are all of us. Reducing the number right. of buyers. If there are fewer buyers, that's a drop in demand. The response to the drop in demand is a price adjustment. Now there are those out there that will suggest we have a shortage in supply, which means that housing prices may not be as elastic as we think. Right? Maybe people will have to partner with other folks and conjure up ways to buy houses because the demand is just so strong. I don't do you, I don't think I don't that's that I, true. Right. I don't know that I buy that. Well, uh, there are certain things that you just can't really stave off forever, mm-hmm. right? It's it's like you you know, you can't use a screen door to hold back the tide. Mhm. <laughs> and and you can build a dam, but if the storm's bad enough, you can break that too. Right. Okay? So that's kind of the issue here is that how bad's the storm? And if we see mortgage rates go from two percent to ten percent, basically, well, let's say they go from three like percent to nine yeah. percent, it's going to be your purchasing power is decimated, mm-hmm. right? I used to be able to borrow half a million dollars. Now I can borrow one hundred and fifty thousand, right, for the same payment. And you're like, I just can't afford to pay what you want for that house. That is truly a deflationary scenario. Yeah, when it's not a gradual. Kind right. of let down. And you have two things at play here. Or, or well, you have more than that, but the two biggies. One of them in supply and demand is like the number of people that need houses mm-hmm. versus the number available. Okay. That's one of them. But the other is access to capital. And that's a structural issue. Structural meaning when the price of a mortgage is really high, that's a structural barrier to getting more money. Yeah. So even though these people want the houses, there's no and they possible want to way get the to money clear to the get hurdle. Them. Yeah, they're like, I'm sorry, but this is just a mechanical barrier that you can't. Mm-hmm. It's a hurdle too high to jump. So, it's a get real moment, and that's why on, especially if like, let's just play the partisan game out for a minute, okay? Let's say 
you're a fan of the current administration and you're trying to rationalize why people should vote for them. You're trying to defend this position and say, this is why, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you're, you're shaking your hands going like, the Fed is killing us here because these people need homes and the, you know, now we have the banking system making it impossible for people to get homes. That's not fair. We should step in and fix it, right? Because everything's going fine elsewhere in the economy. But this is... Uh, you know, uh, market intervention, it's not right, and, you know, there you go. You really, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, this is kind of what happened with this, the loan forgiveness, right? Hey, you know, we incentivized people to go to school, and we did expected family contributions, but then the families didn't pay, so the people had to get student loans, and it cost too much, and so we need to forgive loans. And th- there's there's more to it than that, because that's, that's, you know, the flip side of the argument is, the, you know, the other side of the aisle going, this is a giveaway. We should have fixed college in the first place. It should have never been that expensive. This is all bad policy, and now we're trying to fix it with more bad policy. <laughs> okay? And the same way you're going to the housing market, you're going, housing's too expensive to begin with. It's too much of a percentage of a person's income. Nobody can afford it. So we need to bring the rates up to get a real market back, and we need to start making loans for people that can afford them, not to anybody that can fog a mirror. Right? So mm-hmm. we got issues. And I get why both sides want to bicker about this, because they want their team to win. What I'm here to tell you is, Let's just squash tribalism right now and get real. The economy has pain points, and our politicians are busy playing politics for votes rather than doing the stuff it takes to fix it. Mm -hmm. And you can cry me a river if you're going to try to tell me, well, it's because of supply chains and it's because of Putin. And it's like, those are distractions. We have domestic economic issues that are substantial and real. And while those are not irrelevant things, that is not the main thing. Stop trying to get me to like kick the can down the road. Stop trying to distract me with Mm -hmm. the sideshow when the main event is a catastrophe. Right. Okay. And it is a mess. It is. It's just a mess. And the markets are reflecting it. And I can tell you right now, it's possible the markets go lower. Can't guarantee they will, but it's possible. There's some structural reasons, in fact, why markets may look better right now. And we'll talk about those in a minute, but they can definitely go lower. Because let me ask you well, something. The market doesn't like uncertainty. Yeah. And where are we getting any type of clarity? Yeah. You tell me between now and November 2nd what's going on in this world. Yeah. Right? And I can tell you the one thing I know is that both parties are going to try to make their team look good mm-hmm. so that they can try to win. And, and my, they're going to stop concern, at nothing to do it. My That's concern the scary is winning's part. more important than being uh, honest or doing what's the good. The country takes a backseat to the election mm-hmm. cycle. So we have to win, first of all. Yep. And then there are people on all the different angles of approach that are going to try to spin it to make their tribe look the best. And as investors, I look at this and go, I have nowhere on this shifting sand to plant a flag. Yeah, where are you making money right now with this? Yeah, when pretty much every index except for in like shorting the market mm-hmm. is down. I mean, you right. lost money in bonds. There's blood in the streets and everywhere. You've lost money in stocks all over the place. Now, again, this is relevant. Stay with me. This these losses may be a, an okay sign here, but the issue is what if you think about it, if you're listening right now, think about. If you look at the the economic backdrop right now, you're probably in one of three camps, right? The first camp is clueless, right? Mm-hmm. I don't pay attention. I go about my life. This is not stuff I'm into. And like, I just, no, 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 no. And you can put your fingers in your ears, right? Right. Earmuffs. Then you've got another camp 
that is, it's not great, but here's all the reasons it's getting better and we need to keep doing what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? And that's one tribe. And then you got the other tribe that's saying, it is not great. Here's all the things that are being screwed up and we need to fix it, right? Yep. And I sound like the latter. Uh, and frankly, I mostly am the latter. Yeah. Just not, I'm just done hiding from that part. But it, again, it doesn't have to do with blue or red. It has to do with failed economic policy versus policy that I don't think is so bad. And mm-hmm. I'm going, we just have, I'm just sick and tired of obviously flagrantly bad policy being sugar-coated as good policy when it, what it is is politics mm-hmm. and not policy. Right. Just over that. And, and our government never admits when it's wrong. Nope. And they maybe don't that's take a strong statement, but it's just, it, there's, there's no profit as a politician in saying I'm wrong when you can blame somebody else or shift the narrative to say, well, now that there's new data, this is why I'm still right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and we all know this from things like early on in the pandemic when we had a bunch of policy and you go, look, we didn't know. We had to do the best we could. But a year and a half into it, when we know, and we're still trying to use it for political leverage instead of just trying to let people get back to as close to normal as possible, you know what that is? That's political science. That's divide and conquer. Let's figure out how to how to separate the teams and get the votes. And the problem is we're suckers, right? We buy taking it, it hook, line, and sinker. The, the, culturally, we do this. You know, you pick the one issue that is sacred to you. You discard everything else. And you go, well, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. So we need to figure out how to get smarter as an electoral base and as investors. We're going to talk about if we know this is the system. Let's talk about how this velocity issue that's creating problems may work to our advantage if. But we got to take an obscene profit break. Okay. All right. So stick around and we'll be back. We got more to discuss on velocity for investors. But first, these messages. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM at 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. And guess what? Chicken butt? We're fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. Every time I hear it, I got little kids, and that joke is stuck around forever. You can't ask me, it. guess what? <laughs> I'm useless. <laughs> oh, man, you caught my weakness right there. It's I like did. a knee-jerk reaction. I exploited you on the radio. It's like, did that just happen out loud? I'm like, yeah, I did on purpose, okay. whatever. Um yeah, talking fast. Today's the Velocity Show. It's about the velocity of money, the uh, velocity of policy. And the velocity of the market. Velocity of the markets, which hit uh, the lows of the year for the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. And um, that is a bummer. But here's the question, Matt. Can mm-hmm. you conjure a silver lining from all of this data? Yes. I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. This is, what, this is what I've seen since January. We've seen extremes, right? We've seen extreme movements in the market where you get these three, even 4% days in the market. And we saw a really big run-up because we hit this point once before, and it ran up to 4,300 on a little bit of good news. Mm-hmm. It wasn't much. The Fed came out and said, hey, I think we're kind of getting this inflation thing maybe a little bit under control. The market's roared back to 4,300. What does the administration do? They say, hey, let's forgive student loans. Hey, let's pass this Inflation Reduction Act. I'm laughing at that. And what happens? We get more inflation. The Fed has to hike rates, and we see this huge downturn. 
I think the silver lining here is if our government can pull it together for a moment, right, and quit spending money, and these rate hikes do curve inflation, the market's looking for an excuse to run back up, right? Like, people don't want to lose money. People want to make money. Yeah. Here's here's what I think is interesting about this, too, right? Everybody hates the market right now. Yeah. Right? Everybody hates it. Like, go find somebody right now, whether you hate the current administration, you hate inflation, you hate gas prices, you hate the fact that your ice cream container got smaller and costs more, like all of those things, uh, everybody's sick and tired of it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everywhere you look, um, if you are working, you hate the fact that your paycheck doesn't go as far as it used to. And if uh, you're not working and still managing to make a living, people may hate you because they're, they're sitting there going, wait a second, like, are we paying people to not work, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and there's all these accusations are like, hey, are we supplementing people with one form or fashion of government assistance so that the, the workforce is out of balance? And then, you know, I hate the fact that my value meal at Taco Bell, like, went up by 40% in price or something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and you can never find the Mexican pizza in stock, but that's a separate issue. That's <laughs> right? um, just so everyone's. Popular. So you're saying everyone's a little ticked off by this, and it, I think it, that's. I think that's fair. I, I mean, I think who's looking in, at this and saying, "I'm so glad we're in the spot we're in." It is so super divisive right now. If there's one thing that the mainstream media and I'm I I realize when I say this, uh, let me clarify: super mega corporate media, right? Like nationwide corporate media sources. Their revenue model is an advertising-based revenue model, and so they're very good at amping up their user base. And it even makes sense, right? They really only need to target three to five percent of the population with the people that agree with their position. But if they can make you angry and you'll read it anyway, it worked. Yep. Right? You consumed it. So trigger headlines are effective. Yeah, right? It is. They must be because they keep doing it. Right. Like that's the revenue model that works. And so either people wise up to that and stop consuming and they have to kind of rejigger how they attract attention or it's going to keep going on. Right. Right. And so now there may be new resources. I mean, I, I think about the trend in like social media, for example, and how, you know, it started as what uh, MySpace became Facebook became I guess Twitter was a spin-off that's its own little weird animal. Right. And then it became sort of the Instagram world and now then YouTube sort of rose and then TikTok showed up and yeah. it's like it, it's this weird uh, somewhere with Snapchat in there and there's, you know, Whizbang and Poppets and all the other <laughs> ones. I don't know what they are, but you get the idea. Yeah. So the same way that these things culturally shift through the system, okay? I I guess uh I'm kind of off on a tangent on this. Let me bring it back to the investing for a second. Like, we're going to see changes in the marketplace. Okay, so I you're you're I, going there for a second. I'm yes, really, I get where you're going I'm, with this. Though, I'm like, really ranty on this stuff today for some reason because I'm kind of agitated by it. But uh, let's that whole spill. Let, let me let me get back to the velocity theme. Sorry, gang. That's what I get for like uh, you know taking too many vitamins before the show. <laughs> like like slightly caffeinated here and ready to rock. And irritated, right? I'm allowed to say that on the air. Like, I'm just I'm frustrated with bad policy that's gotten to this point that the market's pretty angry. But the silver lining of all of this 
is going to be, first of all, some structural elements at play here that may force the market higher pretty soon. Can't guarantee that. But what I can tell you is by many, many measures, markets are very oversold. Mm -hmm. We're going into the end of the third quarter this week, right? Transition to the fourth quarter. That is a really common point for many of the professional money managers to sort of reevaluate and adjust their portfolios. Right. Okay. We're going into an election cycle where they're going to try to window dress to get votes. And so you're going to potentially whatever, see yeah. things that try to make it look good to sway the party one way or the other. And uh, I think my previous rant really had to do with the advertising revenue model and you know how it changes, but it doesn't, right? So we, we need to figure out if a new player is going to distract us from that and would that new player change the revenue model. But looking at all the investment landscape here, here's the, here's the structural things, right? If we're way oversold and a lot of people shorted this market, we could be looking at a potential short squeeze. Right. Okay, that can drive the markets higher. Okay, yeah. we're looking at... Q4 in a year. And here's the other one. If everybody already hates it. Are you just, going Warren Buffett here on me? Like, no, no. I'm oh, just okay. saying, if everybody already hates the market, what drives it lower? Like, are you going to change your behavior now? Is this the breaking point where right. you go, you're saying I'm throwing of, in the towel, let me sell everything after what, taking my beating? Right. I think what you're trying to say is all of the people who are pessimistic maybe have already sold and gone to cash well, or made I, some type of move that reflects where the market is today. Heavy washout. We've had a handful. This is very anecdotal. I'm not trying to give anything away, but you, know, you had a handful of folks that have come and said, you know what, take me to cash. Yep. And about the time that the phone starts proactively ringing and people tell us to go to cash is when the real buyer a terribly bad sign mm -hmm. to, that that's not winning. Uh, we have some tools that we utilize for tracking sentiment, for example. Sentiment is about as negative as I have ever seen it in, the in our VIC, tracking and tools. And the VIX is super high. The VIX is not, uh, it's interesting. I know. Let me let me, let me me pull up the VIX yeah. because that's a good one to, to look at here. But, um, I think it went over 30 either yesterday or today. Today it's at 32. VIX yeah. is really high and it right. got as high as 34 today. VIX is very, very high. And what we've observed all year Yep. And again, not investment advice, not a guarantee. I'm just giving you a silver lining. When the VIX has gotten over 31.32, it has led to market rallies. Yeah. And, and, and this sort of makes sense because the VIX is a reflection of the cost of buying options. Right. Okay? When option levels get to an extreme, the price of buying insurance to protect gets goes cheap. up. Well, yeah. It goes up. That's why the VIX gets more expensive. Options cost more at extremes. And if the market's way down and the price is going up, it's because the cost to insure against a big move is going up. Now, do you think that we have a higher probability of a huge move down from here or right. a lot of short sellers that are trying to buy protection from a market move? And if they're forced to buy that stock back because people start, if the market starts moving up, they have to buy the stock back to to cover their short position so they don't lose money with the market going up. Right. Remember, short is opposite land, right? They make money if the market goes down because they sold the stock before they owned it so they could buy it back cheaper. And yes, just it works. We're not going to go into it on the show today. But if the if you buy the price expecting it to go down, you sell it before you own it, and then the price goes higher, you got to buy it back because the higher that stock goes, the more loss you have right. as the stock goes up. But if you flip from being a seller to a buyer, you change the demand curve. 
right? Supply and demand. Demand floods the market because of forced buying. Right. And that drives the market up in a spike. And, and the then, VIX is sort of tipping its hat right now, going, hey, we just priced in very expensive options here because we think the market wants to move. So the implied volatility in this market is really high. And those forced buyers can drive in a lot of buyers on top of that. Yeah. And then you get to see that rally that you're talking about. Well, that's the thing is there may be a structural rally that's forming here and structural remember we talked about it earlier structural is like just like mortgages like well mm -hmm. you can't you don't have permission to borrow more money so you're structurally limited you may have uh, an environment where i i borrowed stock to short it and now i have to buy it back because i don't have enough line of credit to hold that borrowed stock because i'm losing money so they mm -hmm. the brokers force me to, to buy it, yeah. and now against my own desires, I have to buy the stock back higher and take a loss. It's called margin call. And keep in mind, this is more probable now because interest rates have gone up, which means margin interest has gone up, which means the purchase or borrowing power in these accounts has also changed. So the derivatives market is being affected by these rising rates. So it is the plumbing all connects. Right, it may be a, a second or third order effect, but it the the plumbing connects, and it can drive the markets. Yeah, so there is a silver lining to this. So the velocity with interest rates going up, it's it's reducing the velocity of available credit. Therefore, you know you can see things like the derivatives markets force a short squeeze that could drive us higher. It may be short lived, but yeah, nevertheless, oh, yeah. that's that's groundswell of forced buying can be enough to lift this market and it can trigger other computer buying programs that can push it even harder. I think you just made a decent reason as to why it's not always a good idea to sell and move on in a really down week, right? Yeah. Like, I would say again, not investment advice, but man, trying to sell everything right now, you are you have to be right twice. Yeah, you right? Do. You have to be right that the market isn't going up from here. And that the market's going to go down, so you can buy at a better, better price. Right. Because it's highly unlikely with the VIX this high that the market stays where it is. Absolutely. Right. So, so your probability that the market just hangs out right here for the next two months pretty low. Yeah. Like it's not zero, but it's pretty low. So anyway, well, look, we got to take our last break. All right. So why don't we do that? And when where, we come back, we yeah. What are we doing when we come back? We're going to make it up as we go, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Now we got a couple couple thoughts for our investors out there for how you're going to manage the velocity, especially with these higher rates, what you should pay attention to, uh, or at least put it on your radar. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with the fast-talking Matt Dixon. Right? I'm, I mean, we're on a roll, and I'm... Uh, I, I, Probably shouldn't have caffeinated so much before this, but I really wanted to do the show. Plus, last week I didn't get to because I was off in the mountains, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Uh, but it was time to get back to work here, and this is kind of my favorite time of the week. So, Matt, we want to talk to our investors about we've, the today's show has been about speed and velocity. Okay, the speed at which things are changing in the marketplace. And recap keep, it for me. Keep in mind this, right? And this is just a personal theory of mine, but it's played out over the last several years, and I think it's going to continue to be more and more true. Mm -hmm. And that is, as technology has changed the speed of information and the way it permeates through our economy and around the globe, 
the the speed at which our economy responds has also increased. Mm-hmm. So we the velocity of things as the numbers have gotten really big, as we throw around trillions of dollars now, that has material impact and it can move quicker than we expect. Uh, it's really hard to suggest that, oh, the policy that we did five years ago, we're just now feeling the effects of that. Some of it, right? But right. not usually the economic effects the way uh, the market's already priced it in, right? It's looking forward past that. So you're like, well, you know, infrastructure spend, we're just now getting the infrastructure done. Yeah, I may, that may be true, but the market's priced it in a long time ago. Yep. So the speed at which information permeates the economy is remarkable. And I think you're, we're seeing it in shortened economic cycles, right? We just see the markets move faster and economies move faster. Part of the reason I share this is because I think there may be a silver lining to the uh, the fact that, first of all, I believe we're in a recession, right? I called yes. that a while ago, and I'm sticking with that. Mm-hmm. When people are like, oh, we may still get a soft landing, and I just giggle no. on the inside and go, that's a load of nonsense. Like, yep. we're totally going to roll over. We're going to get hammered because this thing is moving faster than poly re- policy response. Because D.C. is is fighting the Fed, yep. right? So you have, we have warring factions of economic intervention, right? So the Fed's trying to raise rates and kill inflation while DC is still spending to try to buy votes. Yep. So those two are incompatible. The Fed will win, just so everybody knows. Oh yeah. The, the Fed will win. You're like, oh, the government will prop up. No, the government will will functionally ruin its faith and credit if it does so. It will lose, and it will lose because the economic pain will grow to the point that people will get ousted from office. And the new people will say, like, if I want to keep the job, I'm not going to I'm going to do something different because mm-hmm. gaslighting only works so long because we have the Internet to circumvent news now. Right. Right. Like you could say, oh, the news said this and the other. And at some point you go, I'm pretty sure I'm being lied to. And that's kind of where we're at. It's just the credibility of a lot of things is so low right now because people are so pessimistic. Again, it's very tribal. It's disappointing, but it is what it is. Uh, so as investors, keep in mind that this thing can recover remarkably fast. I will reference the part. This this is actually nonpartisan, and I'm going to try to prove it here. In the run-up to the 2016 election, with which Donald Trump was the surprise winner, mm-hmm. markets had been grinding down, and the rhetoric was actually looking for a Hillary Clinton victory as a way to stabilize the markets so they could move higher. Mm-hmm. That was actually what was expected. And when Trump was elected, that was a huge shock to the system. And then the markets actually rallied from there. Now, you would, I think incorrectly, people would try to say that's because the markets were excited about deregulation and Trump and rah, rah, rah. And I will go, no, I think the markets were spring loaded at that point to just have any form of policy stability right. so that they could move forward. They that, wanted know, to know what to expect. It was the end of a second-term presidency where there was a lot at stake in Congress and so forth, and so people wanted policy clarity. And I think we're there as well. We just want some clarity in what's going to happen. And that can lead to market recovery. Okay, I don't think it's going to mean the economy is going to be awesome post-election. I'm just saying I think sentiment can improve once we get some clarity as to what the heck's going to happen. Do you think part of it was also the, I mean, we knew quantitative easing was a thing, and it had been in the system for a while. And so it was also a little bit of that comfort of saying, hey, like, we know that we at least have that to, I mean, money's still cheap, right? So, and But now 
we're at a different juncture where it's like, well, we can't count on that. We can't count on policy coming from Washington, D.C. There's no there's really no stability between either one. I think it's simpler than that. I don't think anybody was looking and going, well, we have quantitative easing. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I think they were just saying because money's cheap, therefore. Yeah. And post covid, it was, well, because we pumped more money in the system than should have existed arguably and there's going to be a lot of spending we, and therefore we the market should go higher yeah. happen. i mean come on this is not like a surprise yeah you know when you put trillions of dollars into the ppp program and eidl loans and then you uh, payroll you, yeah. refunding programs and so forth like like when, when you, you print 80 percent of all of the money in circulation in the last two or three years yeah i mean what do you expect it's crazy how much money was conjured right yep. and so when you conjure money you destabilize pricing and if, if you don't believe me, I, I'm just like, let again, I've told you this before too. Speak to me after class. I've got some beachfront property in Arizona with your name on it. Okay. <laughs> it's just like your knucklehead. That's just how it works. If you, if you conjure money, you will destabilize pricing. So now we have to just commit to not conjuring money anymore, unless you're okay with price destabilization, in which case, yeah, you're kind of rooting for anarchy. I disagree with you, but maybe that's your jam. In which case, I'm like, I hope you lose, and I hope I win. Uh, <laughs> you know. So, and I think more people agree with me than you. Yeah, I think I, I, I think you're the wingnut if you're an anarchist. Just saying. But yeah, for investors, I'm just gonna say at the end of the day that uh, these policies, we've reaped what we've sown. Yep. You know, we're paying the bill right now. If you don't like it, wise up come election time and pick the candidate that reflects your value system. I'm not telling you what it should be. Or maybe reanalyze your value system. <laughs> well, but don't be a Pollyanna about this stuff, right? Get real on cause and effect, not tribal. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's that's the tip of the day, right? Don't let your emotions wag the dog on this stuff. Let the data do it. We're out of time for now. Matt, how do they reach us if they need help? Give us a ring. 541-375-0898. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.